Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching, and welcome to the first of a new format of episode. We are excited about this, aren't we, Amanda? Yes, Marie, we so are. I had a little brainchild. You did. I wonder, listeners out there, let us know if you have been able to develop a drinking game around the number of times I say excited and the number of times Amanda says brainchild across episodes. I would play that game. Well, I think we would be asleep because (laughs) (laughs) pretty sure it would knock us out. It was a drinking game. Pretty sure we'd be done. We'd be done. Pretty sure we'd be done, though. I wonder how many brain children I have running around the world now. I oh mean, God, there's something real creepy about world. the way you're saying that. Have you ever had your students <laughs> tell you back quotes you've said that like things that you say oh, all the time? Oh no, I need to live very blissfully in the ignorance of that. So yeah. I, I mean, being back in the theater program at my school has reintroduced me to a very special bond with students. And that is when you do something like a theater program, right? And you're spending like ridiculous amounts of time in the evening at rehearsal and like on the weekends during shows and building sets and blah, 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 blah. And my students have created like a quotes book. No. Uh-uh. Of both things that they say off the cuff, but they have included things that I say. And I had to sit down one day and like, okay, guys, we need to have a real like legit conversation where if there's something where context, like if there's something where it is clear that context is needed because I'm a grown up, I'm going to need you to not write it down or to include the context. I mean, they've been very responsible about it, but sometimes they will like, I'll say something off the cuff and I'll look over and my, one of my students is sitting there in his notes app going, this is going to be so good in the quote book. <laughs> uh huh. And I was just like, uh, yeah, okay. That's legit. Yep. I can't see any fault in that. That was a weird thing. I just said, yes. I can barely handle my children starting to sound like me. I mean, that that terrifies me. It's just so unnerving when Hugo will say, Mom, that's just horrifying. And I'm like, do I really say the word horrifying so much? Indeed you do. That, yes. That you are yes. now saying it back to me. Like I that's my own kid. I can't Yes. This no. is your actual child, not your brain child. <laughs> this is your it's your womb children. child. Yes. And if students, I know well, when you teach, you definitely have. Well, because you freaking could repeat yourself. I mean, as part of your job, you repeat yourself during the day. <laughs> but then there are certain things that we say over and over and over again. And certain things oh, that are just like us-isms. Yes. So that's it. That's horrifying brainchild. <laughs> uh, excited. So excited. Oh my gosh, we're so excited, you guys. We're so excited. We spent three and a half minutes not talking about the episode that's coming up. 
that we're so excited about. <laughs> that one. Welcome to Brave New Teaching, everyone, where the tangents are real. And we're excited about brain children. So today we are talking about planning. But honestly, it's our best tips for planning. We are talking about planning quite a bit right now because the beginning of a school year and the beginning of a calendar year are the times when in teachers' lives, planning comes into play more than ever before. I mean, in everybody's life, the beginning of the calendar year, everything's about living your best life and all of that crap. But what we're talking about is getting things under control and all planned out for the upcoming second half of the school year. Or, you know, in August or July, you're looking forward to the first half of the school year. We like to chunk things up like that. And so we thought it might be a good idea to bring together some of our best tidbits from episodes in the past where we have talked about planning. And we wanted to make sure that you don't have to go back and listen to the whole entire thing. We could just give you a whole list of them. However, pulling our best tidbits from each of those episodes seemed like the best way to go. And if you want to listen to the full thing, we'll have them all linked in the show notes. And they're speaking of context, right? We tried to pull ones that make sense on their own. But when you see in the show notes, the episodes that they came from, that might help you to decide, okay, I right. do want to learn more about Shakespeare, or I do want to dig deeper into formative assessments or whatever it might be. That's all in the show notes, as well as an invitation. We are yes. taking the planning obsession to a whole new level this year. And Hopefully we can do this at the start of each semester. I'd love to do these challenges over and over again, but we would like to invite you to a five day backwards planning challenge with Marie and I. It's more of an event than a challenge, but like challenge is kind of the word. Well, challenge is like the, yes, it kind of (laughs) like gets that competitive nature in you going, right? But it also, I mean, if we're being totally transparent, it helps us become more visible on on the internet and, and therefore more teachers are able to find us and kind of join this event. But basically, yeah, backwards plan with BNT, backwards plan the rest of your school year with us in this little five day event challenge. We're going to go right along with you. It's totally free. Follow along with us. We will be having, should we tell the people what they've won? They've won. Yes. Yes. They have won. We're going to have extra mini episodes of the podcast for each of the five days leading you through. And we're going to have like demo videos of each of the five parts of this backwards plan challenge that will be floating around on social media, but we'll keep it all housed in one place. So if you sign up for the challenge, you'll have access to like all the information and all of the tutorials and all the demos all in one place. It's going to be, I'm just, I'm just really excited to share these tips because batch yes. planning, not, not batch planning, backwards planning, excuse me, spoiler alert, we'll talk about batch planning eventually. But backwards planning is one of the most relieving, like emotionally re- relieving things you can do for yourself. Mm-hmm. That also is a very good thing to do for students. So like it hits, it hits hard in a lot of places. And you, we think, you know, planning is I don't know. Not everyone's a planner. I'm a planner. I'm really good at planning for school. I'm really bad at planning for other things. But <laughs> when things are planned, when when you sit, go through this challenge and you look at your planner at the end of the five days, you're just going to go like this. <sighs> yes. It's just going to feel good. Well, 
And before we keep like talking, which I promise will be done soon, we'll get on to the actual tips of this episode. But we want to make sure that you know how to join us, bravenewteaching.com slash backwards, or just head to the show notes. And again, free join along with us. The reason that we didn't want to just do more episodes on planning and do all of this, and we wanted this to be like a in real time situation is because planning, especially when it comes to curriculum is so much better when you have a friend or two or a thousand to do it with, because it it helps like, we're not even going to say like, stay accountable, like we're some sort of a weird fitness group, because we're not a fitness group. We are, however, wanting to help you encourage yourself to keep going and to get things done. Because like Amanda said, at the end of five days, you're going to have the rest of your term planned out. And if it's already planned in your head, you're going to have it more thoroughly planned and like hammered out. And we're spending like five minutes a day, 25 minutes planning the rest of the year. And if you haven't already taken the leap, we highly recommend that this is the time that you say yes to happy hour because happy hour is getting like a whole other layer of goodies to go alongside this challenge. And this is the time to, like Marie said, like lean into the community that we have already prepared for you. And it's actually getting a little bit of a makeover and a lot of updates and really cool new features. And we would love to have you over there and really make the most out of this challenge yeah. with the tools we're providing in that community over there. So this, like I said, is happening in real time. The backwards plan with BNT challenge starts on January 21st, 2024. So if you're listening to this after that, you've not completely missed out because we're going to do it again at the beginning of the next term, right? Because everything here goes around the school year. <laughs> yeah, around August, probably. Yeah. Right? Like mid-August. But if you are in time or if you are somewhere during that week, go ahead and join us, brainnewteaching.com slash backwards, or just head to the show notes. Listen through this episode. Get yourself all ready. Sometimes I have to like be okay to plan first. I have to be emotionally prepared. And so these planning tips will help you get there. And then you can join us and everything will be right in the world. Basically, what we're saying is backwards plan with BNT, and we're going to save the world. So yeah, friends, enjoy today's tips. Let us know what you want to know more about, and that will help us bring you what you want. And we will see you at the five-day challenge backwards plan with BNT. With no further ado, cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. So you're going to need a few accessories. So you're going to need one, your planner, whatever planner you're using. Check. Number two, I want you to print out, you can use it on your computer if you want to, but print out if you can, your school calendar, right? When all of the activities are, whether you're involved in them or not, I want you to write down and like, know when the spring musical is, when the spring dance is, when the last day of school is, when all of those calendar things exist, you're going to need that for this exercise. You're also going to need fun things like you need to go buy a fresh set of pens. Yes. 
permission granted. Like Thank go you. treat yourself to some highlighters and pens and coloring things. That's really all you need right now. Um, and your phone probably, because you might want to use your phone for a couple of these tasks. Okay. So you can pause me, go get all your things. Okay. Once you have them, this is step one. On your planner, I want you to write down every single immovable part of the semester. So what are the things coming up that will not change? Like the dates will never, ever, ever go away. Like if you're in the Midwest, your last day of school might change. There might be a snow day or there might be whatever. Either way, like let's get down in our planners, in your actual lesson planners, where are all of the things happening? Now, Marie, can you guess why we would start there? Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, yes. So our friends who have done curriculum rehab have already heard us talk a lot about putting into place these things because it creates a structure for you. And if you're at a point where like you've got a lot of flexibility in your curriculum planning and your curricular design, these structural points like Memorial Day, like spring break, like I have a ski week in February. Those can create starting and ending points for units. They can help you shape existing units and fit them into smaller or larger timeframes. They will just frame a lot of things and, and like rather than feeling like you have to catch up to yourself or slow yourself down, you just put on the parameters from the get-go. It also like psychologically makes you go, oh, it's okay. I can go back in January because I'm going to be off for a three-day weekend. In the, like it psychologically gets you ready to build up your stamina to get going in the winter. It is psychological. I want you to picture yourself on top of your calendar rather than desperately climbing to catch up to it. That's exactly what this process is. It's not rocket science. It's you exercising this kind of godlike control that's not real, right? Like we know everything can blow up and it can be spring of 2020 again, but it gives you, like Marie said, that sense of, I'm not at the mercy of the calendar. I'm not shocked. Like, oh my God, did you realize it's a week before ski week and I haven't done X, Y, and Z. We don't want to be in that panic state. We don't want to be there. It's not good for us. No. And also, well, and then the thing that will inevitably come up beyond breaks and holidays and finals and those sorts of things that are like baked into your, maybe your district's calendar are also things like testing. When is your site doing testing in the spring? When are AP tests? That's something that will rock an entire high school campus, right? Like, because you, we don't have announcements during the weeks of AP testing. So like that changes the way things work. Um, What was the other thing I was just going to say? Testing, also, Amanda said dances, like, you know, like be able to anticipate the energy or the exactly. yes of your students and yourself. Like what are things that are coming the next layer to come to, to put into that beyond your school calendar is your life. Calendar. Calendar. Yep. Yeah. I knew Amanda was going to go there next. Yep. Life calendar to know where you're going to be ish. Like at least to your best ability, anticipate yeah. where you're going to be. Looking forward like that to be able to then move backwards because that's what we're doing. We're backwards planning. And this is one of the best exercises you can do in order to prepare yourself. Again, Amanda said it already. It's mostly psychological. Feeling prepared and calm is psychological. 
And it's doing this work that kind of like, like Marie had this like block when I first talked about like, we did this episode. It is, that's a lot of us. It's like, it, it looks like too much, but when you kind of lean into what it actually is, yeah. you're going to leave feeling much better. Cause someone I know has uh, weddings to plan, <laughs> spring musicals to direct. Um, some of the others of you might be coaching or running testing or have to be out of your classroom for whatever reason. You have maternity leaves, you have, right? These things, we don't want to be at the mercy of them. We want to be in anticipation of them as much as possible. That is another like kind of shout out to inquiry based design where the focus is on the topic. The focus is on the question and questions that branch from it. And the text, again, is just a vehicle for exploring that question, a vehicle for critical thinking, a vehicle for all of the things that we want our students doing instead of knowing. I think, yeah, and and all, yeah, and all I I wanted to remind us of in this conversation too is it's also a little bit about pacing, like very practically speaking. Yeah. Some experience, like I've gotten to a place where I've done so much building background knowledge that I wake up one morning and I'm like, we haven't started the book and we're already two weeks into the unit. What was I thinking? We haven't started the book and I'm already (laughs) sick of it. Yeah. You're like, oh God, I just don't feel like, like Jean Valjean, I got it. That's one you got to kind of like live through and <laughs> I then know. we're just giving you permission to just, you can stagger that stuff and kids will most likely, it'll be more relevant when it's side by side in the moments where it's actually happening. Well, so. you think about the experience of a reader, right? Like, because we are specifically talking about text-based units, like the experience of a reader is not that I'm going to remember everything that I already know about the book before I read the book. It's that I'm going to be asking questions and figuring things out and filling in context and doing all that as I go. We do that when we read new texts, but it's easy to lose sight of that action and that like trajectory when we as the teachers are coming from a completely different perspective. So yeah, that was our really quick, I'm using, I'm using air quotes. That was our really quick overview of gateway activities, the why behind them, the how that we use them. And we've got a lot of different types of gateway activities. They can be full-blown classroom transformations, like a whole thing, which both of us get really nerdy about and like love. And it can also be very simple. Right. And you, and you could take something and change the way that, yes. So like one of our most simple gateway activities that we actually created as a team of brave new teaching. And we have as a part of both of our Shakespeare workshops, actually it's a free download. If you go to the, <laughs> you can get it right now, even if you don't have the Shakespeare workshop. Yeah. Just go to the show notes. So you can get the download. It's flat Shakespeare. If you have no idea what we're talking about, we will also link a couple of episodes where we've talked about little flat Willie, um, William Shakespeare. Don't get any full name, please. Stop getting all of those nasty ideas, listeners. Uh, (laughs) Flash Shakespeare is like it has endless possibilities, but it's a take on Flat Stanley, the book from when our kids were growing up. When we, I don't think it was around when we were growing up, but and kids, students get to take Flat Shakespeare around. They get to color him, make him however he's going to look. You give them challenges. You can give them different activities. They can just have him be their like little friend. And it's a fun entry into a Shakespeare unit. It's easy. Like one of the things I've used with, with an essential question with Shakespeare is I've kind of come up with scenarios of 
would you do like this or that based on the scenario? And the kids have to hold up their Shakespeare when I, you know, like to identify with the scenario. So he yeah. becomes like on a popsicle stick, like, you know, how they're raising their hand. So like, he's the manipulative. Your activity can be a thousand things like Marie said. And yes. when you, if you download him, we'll also email you so many ideas. A list of ideas. He's a community builder. I mean, really William Shakespeare is one for the people. Okay. Another, do you want to talk about Claudia with a chance of meatballs? I like when you explain it. You do it better yeah, than I do. So- the one that we have is a specific example of a generally broad and brilliant idea. And that is to use a picture book to introduce your essential question or your essential question themes to your students. So um, if you are well-versed in picture books, you'll have no problem with this. If you've got some kids at home, if you don't, just Google it. I know we talk a lot about our friend, Dr. Jenna Copper. I know she's got a couple of good blog posts about picture books um, that you can use as gateway activities. We like to use Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs as a gateway picture book for our dystopia units in that number one, it's a gateway activity that's very unassuming. Students come to class and all of a sudden they're, they're not doing what's normal they're doing something completely out of the ordinary, which is gathering on your little carpet and sitting down for story time. And we read the picture book to the students. Sometimes I'll read it without any context, any directions. We're just going to have reading time. And then the process and how we transition into the essential question is a series of questions that make them reflect on the nature of how this world works and how in theory, right, it's this perfect place. It's very utopian. But in reality, the driving force of the weather is really problematic and deadly. And the only reason these people are able to escape is that they have the wherewithal and the finances to evacuate, essentially. And so it's really fun to kind of see the students look at this book from an adult point of view Mm -hmm. and a dystopian point of view. And it's just a great, like I said, they're unassuming at the beginning. And by the end, they're like, oh, there was... (laughs) Would you look at that? Oh, there's yes. something there. And it's memorable. You know, that's another key part of that gateway activity is having something memorable, whether it's, you know, silly and dumb or really, you know, meaningful and profound. And that's, I think, what's so frustrating about classroom management is that you th- you've done all this work through the honeymoon period of getting your systems in place the kids act out, you solve it, you crack the case. But then, like you said, there are still seasons where it keeps coming back. And the hardest is the end of the year again, because you've done all this work. You love these kids. You feel like you've got this awesome relationship. And then they're acting like total goofballs. That is the PG version of the word that I really want to use. <laughs> and you're like, guys, like, what gives? You know, we we had this great, respectful relationship and they're bonkers. Well, and a couple episodes while you were gone, one of the solo ones that I did was in response to a bunch of different questions. And one of the questions that I got was, how do you not take it personally when kids act up? I mean, and and what I said was, if I took it personally every time a child acted up, including my own, who I birthed into this world... I would not uh, get a lot done. Like I would, I would be very upset all the time because, and I would also be totally misinterpreting (laughs) situations. It's not about me. It's not about us as teachers. Is it an affront to us when students outright act out and it's at us or in front of us or in our class? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's annoying and we have to deal with it. 
that 99.9% of the time, it's not about us at all. And there are ways to curb most of it. There's always the special cases. So like, as, as you're listening today, friends, know that we know we are very well aware of the special cases and the special cases are few and far between. Maybe they're like more now, especially like in post quarantine world, but like I'm holding out hope that behavior will go back to the normal seasons of behavior (laughs) in the next few years as we like come out of kids learning from home and get back to more of the way it used to be. There are ways to deal with very like proactive behavior or like actions that we can take that that's what we're going to talk about today. Do you want to kick us off? Cause I'm rambling. Uh, no, I, I mean, I don't think you're rambling. I think you're really just setting the stage for what we want to go over today. And that is the big picture. It is, this might not even feel helpful to you right now. You might be frustrated with this, what we're going to share with you because it's not an immediate something you can take away or something you can print and hang in your classroom. Right. Not in that way. It's immediate in that it can help you tomorrow. It can help you next week because we're talking about putting firm plans in place. Yes. Yeah. And that is something that is, it's so, it feels like you're moving away from classroom management when you move into lesson planning. But after you've been around the block a few times and you recognize that a big picture plan with lesson plans organized to meet specific goals, that is the classroom management secret. I can tell you right now, I I can distinctly remember the differences between my first, I'd say four or five years of teaching when, and if I described that time, it was, I had a blank slate. I could teach whatever I wanted. I thought it was amazing. I was making up units during the assessment of the unit previous and I was figuring it all out from scratch. And like so much of that was liberating and taught me about how to teach and what works and what doesn't. But what the uglier side of that was as a new teacher anyway, is that I spent so much time lesson planning and just throwing things at the wall that kids never felt that sense of consistency, predictability. They didn't know what today's lesson was going to do for the next day or the next day or the next day. And guess what? Neither did I. And so that's why Marie and I are here to share just kind of the benefits of getting to a place where you can look at your year as a whole. You can look at that and then break it down by units. And I was just doing a PD yesterday with a school in Nevada. And it's like, you don't need to have day-by-day lessons. No one's telling you to stop responding to student needs. However, I think having an intentional trajectory of your year, a goal, like this year is dedicated to you, 10th grade students, and we are trying to discover who controls our future. And we're going to look at it through this lens, this lens, this book, this book, uh, this project, and this essay. I mean, when we can say at least that, that is one of the most comforting structures that we can give to students. And, And that's what we really want to talk about today. Yeah. So I'm, and Amanda already said it. Our big classroom management key is a solid curriculum. It is knowing where you're going with students. It's knowing how you're going to get there. And it's knowing, like really understanding your foundation has been created where you as the teacher, as the instructor will be able to respond to student needs along the way and still get to the goal in mind or get to some semblance of that goal in mind. And what we want to talk about, I mean, 
yes, we can start getting into more of the nitty gritty and the philosophy of like curriculum design. That is what we cover in our course curriculum rehab. Many of you have gone through curriculum rehab and you're probably nodding along like, yep, yep, yep. That's pillars. Knowing the end game so that we can truly backwards plan is the absolute best way to do pretty much anything, (laughs) but like, especially as a classroom teacher. But having what really we want to talk about today is more of how that curriculum smooths out issues before they even arise. And then when they do arise, those that do end up bubbling to the surface, like I'm having right now, like I'm not saying that it's going to eradicate classroom behavior issues, but I can share ways that my solid curriculum is helping me navigate those issues. Well, if you think about our content area, I mean, this is, this is, you know, the nerd in me talking is there's always a connection. Oh, always. Whatever you're reading, there is some kind of relationship, some kind of relationship drama that would link in and connect in. And I'll share my, my, like one of my go-tos, I have many different things I've done on Valentine's day, but one of my go-tos is teaching kids how to write haiku And then either to kind of, depending on if we're in creative writing, I would just kind of stick with their own personal haikus of their own lives. Um, But if we're in a novel, I would have the students writing haikus between characters about their relationship. So uh, last year, for example, we were in Gatsby this time of year. And so I had the kids make a list of pairings. So like, what would the haiku from Myrtle to Gatsby look like? Right. After, you know, what happens, um, you know, what would the, what would some, one of my students suggested Gatsby's pool writing a haiku to him. That's like, deep. Cr- yeah, like, like even <laughs> symbolic things. So Tom's haiku to Daisy, um, you know, from whatever those might be. So like, that's kind of a fun way to do it. And then I would have the kids, this is where the engagement part comes in, is that I set up a haiku deathmatch bracket system. So I have my kids competing against one another, slam poetry style, but all they're reading is their haiku. So they're five, seven, five, one student goes, the other student goes, it's a plaza meter or a vote from a, another teacher you bring in the room or whatever you want it to be. And the kids move on through the brackets for the winner. So like, this is fun to do with characters. It's really fun to do if you divide your room between the kids who are like self-professed, like I believe in true love. And then you have the other half of kids who are like, everyone sucks and all my love is unrequited and you know, love is a dark, scary, horrible place. And so I I like to divide my room that way, the lovers and the haters, and then they write their respective haikus and they battle against each other. So fun. Little known secret, the haters always win. Those darker, more angry poems are always better. They're Uh, way more powerful. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's just recognizing friendship and that sort of a thing. And I like to look at it as just a recognition of love. And that love can mean many different things. And one of my favorite things that I have done with students has been like a love letter or a love poem to someone or something. Sometimes it's from the perspective of a character to another character or a character to an item. I've had kids write a, um, those of you who teach in California are going to completely understand this, uh, Southern California especially. I've had so many students write an ode to a California burrito. And they like, or like sometimes we'll write love sonnets, like if we're in a Shakespeare area, that sort of a thing. But let me tell you, the love letters and the love sonnets that have been written to and about a Cali B are just, they're really moving. 
I have to tell you. (laughs) My solution that I like to call close reading side by side. So like the reason we're giving you two solutions is my solution might not work depending on right where you're at and what you need. But the idea here is to picture in your whatever you've assigned for reading, two scenes that would either complement or contrast each other in an interesting way. So First and foremost, you've got to have the right scenes. So my example I'll give you is in A Thousand Splendid Sons, there is a chapter where the beginning opens and the main character is really excited. She's going to go meet her dad for the first time. Um, There's all this hope and anticipation. I'm not going to give you too many spoilers, but let's just say at the end, things are not so great. Like, really bad. Like we actually have like trigger warnings for suicide by the end of this chapter. So things, things take a turn. All right. In the story. So typically, you know, we would be wanting to like focus on the events of the middle. This idea, actually what I did for close reading was we put the scene from the very beginning of the chapter on the left, the scene from the very end of the chapter on the right. And the students are going to go through both scenes looking for the same things. So I have them looking at symbolism, imagery, and structure. And so what they're able to do is do, they can do them on their own, right? This is symbolism in scene one, imagery in scene one, the structure of scene one. What do we notice? What do we find? Then we can do scene two, symbolism, imagery, and structure. And then all of a sudden, kids are having these moments of overlap. And so what a side-by-side lets us do, and in this case, it's like a a beginning-end chapter situation, you get the opportunity to talk about changes over time, symbols over time, the way that things change, manifest, turn, transition, because you're not just doing one single scene. They're very short, so like it doesn't take longer time, but what we're looking at is two separate moments in time, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so the the conversation and the close reading gives us a chance to really look at even more than we would have if we would have read either one of those scenes in isolation. What were all of the different things that students had to do with this one pager? So with this one pager, we asked students to... Uh, First of all, it's connected to the essential question, which is one of the most important things we talk about in our course, um, Curriculum Rehab, is the formative assessments, the close reading, all the pieces of the unit are all threaded together with this essential question. So that's where we have to start with this one pager is the prompt is inspired by that. And so the prompt in this unit is all about relationships or the prompt. The essential question is all about relationships and why they matter. Um, And so I asked them to find quotes and images that were related to and relevant to a certain part of their reading in the relationships that they had found in that part. I also kind of had taken their relationship with their culture and the society in which they were experiencing those relationships as part of the prompt for this one pager. And so students had to respond with quotes 
a paragraph of writing and images. And then my students in this case, what you're seeing here is not the final product. The final product was them. They did a screens share on Flipgrid. So they kind of did like a narrative walkthrough of their one pager. So they were explaining the pieces, what they chose and why. So you can't see that here. You're just kind of seeing the product. Um, but that was how I used a one pager in a digital format. And I've used very similar like expectations out of a student and looked specifically at tone and mood, mm -hmm. right? So my essential question, what makes a villain and show me your evidence of tone or like pick a passage that has a really clear tone and mood, give me some visuals to represent the tone, visuals to represent the mood and a passage and then like annotate and explain to me how and why you have identified this tone and mood within this passage something that pertains to the villain. Like it can be that simple and quick, or it can be a little bit more developed. And then here we have a rubric of how you could go about grading. And it's just very simple. Like the criteria are legitimately just a couple of skills. Well, two reading skills and a writing skill, as you can see here with one of Amanda's Raisin in the Sun one pagers. And then it's just check mark. Where did you get on these? One of the keys when it comes to grading formative assessments with rubrics, and that's why we said repeat, repeat, repeat using these rubrics, is that the repetition trains students and it trains their expectations on exactly how to understand what's expected yeah. of them. I don't know if that made sense, but that's, yeah. It, well, and it also in terms of grading, which is this, this webinar is not really about the grading part of the assessments, but it does help the grading. When students understand the rubric, they understand the rubric as feedback. And we stop running, spinning our wheels, trying to write feedback all the time and constantly doing mm -hmm. things on top of the rubric. We want the rubric to do the work. All right, friends, if we have not inspired you enough to start thinking about thinking about planning, we want you to, like we said before, in our very lengthy intro to the episode, join us for our free five-day challenge, <laughs> Backwards Plan with BNT, because... Really, what is there to lose other than a quick little click and signing up? But we've got like a whole workbook so you can follow along. We are making it as simple as possible. There will be you'll be seeing in your podcast feed some extra bonus little mini episodes of the podcast. And if you're following us on social media, you'll also see some different demo videos there. So you can see exactly what we're talking about along the way. BraveNewTeaching.com slash backwards. That's where it's at. That's what all the cool kids are doing, right, Amanda? I have nothing else to add. All the cool kids. All right, friends. Have a wonderful, wonderful week at school. We will see you in the challenge, and we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 